Emily. Kate. Happy New Year. <sighs> 2023. Now we're actually in 2023. So when I say talking about the festival coming up in June and talk about it like it's in the same year, people will be like, no, it really is this year. I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Well, you should know I'm constantly confused with all of these releases, what season we're in and what year we're in. And I at times have said season 13, which means that I skipped season 12 and I everyone should fact check me no it's because we get so used to planning for the next festival that's coming that then our head wants to jump to the further festival and I literally wrote season 12 on something today and had to take a minute and be like did I did we already do season 12 yeah is that what's happening this year happened to me a lot very confusing I will say that now now we enter the period this entire month I will tell people happy new year well I I think you can say happy new year all of January and I will constantly be confused when writing the date, what year it is, where I am, what day of the week, what hour it is, like, which is just a continuation of life, in my opinion. Do you have any TV-related New Year's resolutions? I knew you were going to ask that. About TV specifically? No, but just you were going to ask me about resolutions, (laughs) and I wasn't going to be ready to tell you anything. Uh, I don't, but... I mean, I'm guessing most of them are going to be around watching things for the festival. Is that a resolution? I don't know. Um, Maybe it will be looking at some other people's top tens that came out last month and watching things that I missed or didn't watch. I will say last month, and this ties in to today's release, actually. We'll go circle, circle. I love it. Is I listened to the two-hour release of... Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald's The Watch Ringer, all the words, uh, end of year list, which they do with Sam Ismail. Oh, um, like always with Sam Apparently, Ismail? yes, but I'm newer to listening. Um, and they do all of their top tens. And then Chris even shares his 11 through 20. And there were certain shows on there that I had never heard of. There were shows I had definitely missed. What's something you had never heard of? The English yeah, I haven't heard see, of it either, but either. if you haven't heard of it, then I've definitely haven't heard of it. And it was on Andy's top 10. Um, I would, I, now it was last month. So I had forgotten and I've been watching Christmas movies for the last month. Um, <laughs> yep. But okay. maybe that's my resolution because the reason it ties into today is our release today is genre close-up crime fiction. It's a micro conversation from the festival last year, which I can say now, last year. Um, and it's moderated by Chris Ryan, who... We've already released, he did Justified as well as a big fan of Justified. Um, But this is a conversation with Larry Trilling, who is on it for Outer Range and Goliath, and Graham Yost, who's on it for Justified and Slow Horses. Wait for it. I will connect all of the dots. I know that you will. Chris put both Slow Horses, Slow Horses was on Chris's top 10. Outer Range was on his 11 through 20. Okay. So he was a big fan of both of these people and this topic, and he's a huge fan of Justified. And Slow Horses, which just had season two end right before the new year, and we have now released on our YouTube channel a brand new, pretty much, it's less than a week old, a Slow Horses conversation with cast about season two. How excited were you when you put all this together (laughs) recording this intro? I I can just see you beaming about it. Like these are all my favorite people. Like Graham 
is, you know, an EP on Slow Horses. He's not a writer. He is big to tell us that, that he doesn't take a lot of credit for this show. It's like the Americans. He doesn't take a lot of credit for it. Um, well, Emily, Happy New Year. He's We're going to well. keep saying this all month long. So wait for next week. I'm going to say it again. We're going to kick off that way. Um, but everybody should enjoy all of the crossover of Slow Horses and Outer Range and Top Ten Lists with Chris Ryan moderating genre close-up crime fiction with Graham Yost and Lawrence Trilling. Uh, thank you so much to everybody for coming. And thanks so much to you guys for joining me. Uh, when they told me this was a crime fiction panel, I was just like completely in. And then when I mentioned it to you guys backstage, you both almost blanched a little bit of being maybe identified as, as crime associated or crime genre people, but you know, obviously have worked in that. Do you necessarily think of yourself in that regard, Graham? I, well, we were, we were saying, thinking about Justified, I said, well, it's not really a crime show. And I was like, well, it totally was a crime show. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was it, I, I was saying, it, it, to us, it was an Elmore Leonard show. So that was sort of a different, a different thing. But then looking back, I did a short show with uh, Jeff Goldblum called Reigns, crime. Yeah. A show on NBC, Boomtown, crime. Um, and, and, and that was funny because when we were doing that show, I said, well, it's more about the community. It's about all these different people. And then the other people on the show said, no, it's a cop show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because that, that's what drives the story. Um, but yeah. It's the people. In, and then the crime winds up becoming like, there's this Trojan horse aspect of a lot of the crime shows that I think a lot of us respond to. Lawrence, you just worked on one of those in a lot of ways in Outer Range, which is kind of a midlife crisis show and kind of a sci-fi show and kind of this metaphysical psychedelic show. And then there's also a mystery in this, at the heart of it and a crime at the heart of it. Absolutely. I mean, to, to Graham's point, like you, what you, what's so great about a crime is it gives you a story engine. You know, you know if it's just about um, am I in love with you or am I not in love with you or what's going on in our marriage, you know, it's, it's hard to find external stakes that are sufficient. You know, but if you can use a crime to, to kind of cook underneath those other things, relationships and how they come apart and then you've got something cooking and in the case of Outer Range it you know the crime was a very intimate particular you know it, it, the, the excuse for the plot and what was fun about subverting that was that we were rooting for the people who were committing and covering up the crime yes you know <laughs> as uh, as readers or viewers over the course of your life do you guys remember the first piece of crime culture you fell in love with I, crime mm. culture is sort of a weird way of putting yeah. it. Is it. I mean, crime fiction or a crime TV show or a crime film that you saw that you were like, huh, this is speaking to me in some way. <laughs> gonna, I'll jump in with something that's not in the genre seemingly at all, but actually The Great Gatsby because, that's, yeah, that totally you works. know, because that's a case where, again, a crime happens, which is reveals everything about the characters, how the crime unfolds, how they, you know, I don't want to be a spoiler. On, uh, <laughs> but book's 100 years old, but, you know, and uh, Gatsby and Daisy run over the, you know, Tom Buchanan's lover in the car, and it's, you know, what are the circumstances that led to this crime? How do they cover it up after? How, who are the, you know, how the wealthy get away with everything? Um, that, to me, was very uh, influential and inspiring about how you could orchestrate a character narrative around an incident. Graham, any, any early memories for you? I, I'm, I'm just trying to cast back, especially in television. Um, it, I mean, there, there are certain shows. Hill Street was a foundational show for me, and that was. But that it's interesting. 
is it a crime show? Yes, there was crime involved, but it was really a, a life show. It was a cop show, and it was the Trojan horse of we're going to have these cop stories that are going to pull you into their lives. Right. And that was also such a remarkable show at that time, and I think still is. Um, that, that really hooked me. And it was around that time that I first started reading Elmore Leonard. Yeah. And I hadn't read much crime fiction before then. I'd, that, that's why I was, had that puzzled look. It's like, well, I read all of Ian Fleming when I was pretty young, maybe too young. But, um, and, and now it's quite problematic. But anyway, at the, at the time, I didn't know. But um, it was, uh, it, there wasn't really sort of a lot of crime stuff. Yeah. And, but, and then I got to Elmore, and it was like, oh, man, this is different. And, and that really hooked me. Yeah, because I was wondering whether or not your relationship to whether it's uh, crime films or crime TV or crime novels has changed as you've gotten older, has changed over the course of your life. Because I found, uh, especially doing like the pot I do, I, you know, uh, my co-host has two kids and there was like a decided change when he had kids about how he was sort of feeling about a True Detective episode or something like that mm -hmm. or any kind of kid in peril pl pl plot line in a, in a show. And it was, it was really interesting to watch him sort of like say like, oh, this stuff that I never even noticed before has now started to like hit differently for me. Have you found that your relationship to the genre has changed as you've gotten older? I mean, listen, there's stuff we can talk about in the Justified panel about how that show would, if we, I mean, we are doing more right now shooting in Chicago, but um, it's very it's going to be somewhat different. It'll still appeal yeah. to the fans, but it'll also be a, a different part of Raylan's life. Um, there, there's a lot of things that you would think twice and three times about now that I wouldn't have then, because um, we're just doing an Elmore Leonard show. Um, but you know, was, you, you asked about crime fiction, and it's it's interesting because what exactly is that? Because the other thing I read a lot of when I was younger was noir. So I read yeah. all of Hammett and all of Chandler and a little bit of uh, some Ed McBain and, and various people like that. And, and, or I read a lot of mystery stuff. I read you know, some of the classics, Agatha Christie and, and more recent stuff. I never thought of them as crime. It's interesting things. that you make that distinction. But they're, but they're all yeah. crime. Yeah. You know, there's a body on the floor at the manor. <laughs> it's a crime story. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's just different looks at it. I guess I, I didn't go for I don't know what that crime novel that I've got in my head that I didn't read is, you know? Yeah. So. Lawrence, what about you? Do you find that, like, as a filmmaker, as you've gotten older, like, your attitude about... It's not even necessarily how society has changed around crime, but, like, maybe the way you're viewing... The way you're viewing those, those, those incidents. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that... Two things popped into my head. One is, the, I'll say the first one, just get out of the way. I think it's going to be much harder to be casual about gun violence, yeah. you know, given what's going on right now. I mean, I, I'm guilty of have, having had lots of fun with shootouts and gunplay and getting in, you know, getting kicked out of the bang bang of it. And I think that's something I want to reconsider going forward, um, take it out a lot more seriously and judiciously. Um, but also, in terms of what really turned me on with, with Goliath, was this uh, idea of systemic corruption that we dealt with on the corporate side of things. You know, you've got The Wire and We Own the City, which is on the law enforcement side of it, but in Goliath we really tackled corporate corruption, whether it's the drug, you know, drug industry or the you know, agribusiness. And I think we're living in a time when there's so much distrust in institutions that um, I think that that's something that I'm interested in tapping into and, and exploring. So that's the personal side. On the professional side, are there things that, as you've worked on, Justified as you've worked on uh, Goliath and Outer Range, 
that you maybe notice are whether they're tropes or things you can fall back on or things you uh, kind of want to retreat from in the work that you know you enjoyed as a reader or a viewer. You know what I mean? Like, is mm -hmm. are there things that you were like, oh, you know, I now that I'm writing it, now that I'm working on it, I feel a little bit differently about this kind of thing. That's a good question. Um, I, you know, so much of it just becomes the actual the craft of it. You get in the writer's room, you've got to break a story, and not wanting to do something you've seen too much of. Mm -hmm. So it's just, but the, I think that that sensitivity hopefully is always there. And hopefully you've got other people in the room who can say, yeah, no, you don't watch Better Call Saul, do you? <laughs> no, yeah, well, they did that. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, but in, it, there, there are certain things, I, I look back at, at stuff I did 20 years ago and I go, well, it wasn't bad. I wouldn't do it the same way now. But a lot of that is more craft rather than story changing. Although, when you mention your, 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 your colleague, your friend with, with kids, that has a profound effect. Yeah. You know, you just, it's like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to do that story. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my wife opposed to an episode of Reigns where this guy killed his wife and, and sort of, you know, didn't bug me, yeah. but, it, <laughs> yeah. and she has never let me forget it. Um, anyway. Well, some of it's the presentation, right? Like, I'll, I mean, I, it's a very strange nighttime ritual, but I watch like one Law and Order every night before mm. I go to bed. And it's a very, very strange energy to take into uh, going to sleep, but it's actually just because of the rhythms of it. I'm yeah. like, this is very like calming for me. Yeah. Um, but then when I watch like maybe a more prestigious, like Mayor of Easttown, the same material is deeply disturbing or deeply like, you know, emotional for me. So it's, 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 a, it's interesting how like just the formal handling of material can change the viewer and also probably the maker's relationship to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, like, you know, you've worked with Elmore Leonard's material and so beautifully, and I think, I think there's something so interesting about walking that line where, where you, you can have a little bit of distance with, the, with the, the rhythm and the poetry of the language and the kind of, there's a certain stylization that gives you just that little bit of gap so that the stuff doesn't disturb you too much. Mm -hmm. you can, it, but at the same time, in Justified, I think you did such a great job of grounding it too. So these feel like real people in real situations and you care about the stakes. And yet the sort of the banter and the poetry just gives you that little space to not, for it not to get too deeply inside you in yeah. a good way, you know? I mean, absolutely. We always <clears throat> used to say on Justified that it's reality but one foot off the ground. And, and yeah, there's that, that did give us a cushion, and uh, so it didn't get too heavy. Um, and when it would get heavy, it would be related really to the characters, and what, especially Raylan and what he was going through. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask a question for both of you guys as an, in a sort of current cultural uh, moment within making TV. So part of the reason why I love crime fiction or I like reading all the Elmore Leonard books is this sort of sustainability of the world he creates over the course of the decades. And you kind of know the feeling you're going to have when you read one of his books, mm -hmm. even if you're really surprised by one of the characters or one of the plot developments. And that used to be something that I think people look to TV for a lot more, which is like, I want like a five, six, seven year run with these same detectives or these same criminals or whoever. And now it's obviously pivoting a little bit more towards coming up with these more eventized series as they're a little bit short, run, shorter run. You know, you're working a little bit on Slow Horses, which I know I, I love those books. That is in, in itself, like espionage is kind of a crime in and of itself. And 
I like the idea that that's like a kind of world that can just continue to expand and go on and on and that these people could continue to have these cases and these, these adventures. Do you uh, find yourself more or less comfortable with those kind of long running shows or do you like the inherent stakes with a shorter run? Yeah, I, it, to me, I don't know how you feel, but that it, it's sort of what does the story dictate? What yeah. kind of legs does it have? Um, we, Sony and FX wanted Justified to go seven seasons. Zach and Jamie, who now run Apple, were running Sony, and they were begging us for that seventh season. And Tim and I had said, we're barely able to get through six. Right. We think that that's all we can do, because we can't have one more scene between Raylan and Boyd. What are they going to say? They've, right. they've said it all. And so um, then I had to call them up and say, because well, now I'm working for them at Apple, and saying, yeah, remember that seventh season of Justified? <laughs> oh, we're doing it now. But, and they're like, oh, Jesus. But uh, it's, it's funny you brought up Mayor of Easttown. By the way, that was a hard one for me to get into. Yeah. Because I found it so dark. It, was, it felt like it was poverty porn. It was all these just, everyone was drinking way too much and smoking and just, just awful, living awful lives. Yeah. And by the end of it, I just loved it so much. <laughs> and, and, uh, but my wife, and I told my wife, I said, oh, it gets really good. It's really redemptive. She said, yeah, good for it. Um, she, <laughs> she wasn't going to go on the ride. But, um, I'm from Philadelphia, so I was watching it, and I was like, that's a Wednesday. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, but, uh, you know, slow horses will go as long as people want to watch it, and Gary Oldman wants to do it. Yeah. Um, and as long as Mick Heron keeps on writing books. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it'll probably naturally end after about five, four or five years. But um, doing something else for, for, for the Apple, and it's like, nah, this is, this is four years. Yeah. That's, that's about what, and, and part of it is just figuring out, yeah, what does it feel like? Um, I think there can be those shows that can go on and on. Yeah. Um, but I think people, they just, well, let's, let's see what's on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. Lawrence, I mean, you, you, you came in, closed out Outer Range's first season, and had to answer questions and sort of solve some elements of the mysteries while let, leaving some to be determined. What was that like to come in and do that as a filmmaker? Well, in the case of Outer Range, I came in, you know, later in the season and then wound up helping, you know, staying and then helping through post-production and, and kind of helping to, because there were so many unanswered questions, yeah. which, um, you know, partially to its, you know, to the, to the advantage of getting, you know, tantalizing the audience, and I know some people are frustrated, but it, you know, it's, it's those kinds of shows, talking about how long a show wants to live, the, you know, you kind of put an expiration date on a show like that kind of early on mm -hmm. because you're saying you can only play the game of keep away for so long before you start pissing off the audience. Lost spoiled it for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, now audiences are way too smart for that. So, I think that there's a built-in kind of three or four season thing for Outer Range. You know, on, um, on Goliath, you know, it was interesting. We tried to have it both ways because um, we wanted Billy Bob's character to be able to go for a long time, but we wanted each season to be eventized. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, each, you know, so the bad guys are new every season, the antagonist, the story is completely unique to each season, but then he, as the iconic heroic guy, can go on. Yes, he has a personal arc that goes over the seasons, but that was a way we could, you know, not, we didn't want to do the, you know, open and close procedural yeah. episodically, but seasonally. 
and make it feel more like a book or you know, a no novelistic sensibility, but then be able to return for a few more seasons. Yeah, that's so, kind of like know. how Line of Duty does it in England, where like they'll have this core group of cops, but then they'll be able to bring in like this big guest star to be the current person <laughs> who may be betraying everybody. Yeah, right. Bosch does that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to open it up to the floor if you guys had any questions. I mean, this is sort of a very broad topic, is this sort of state of crime fiction, and we've got experts here. Uh, so feel free to ask Experts. anything if you've got anything in this. <laughs> yeah. So to your point, watching Law and Order, there's you know people talk about the reason that we watch serial crime shows is in our minds there's it, we feel good about it because there's a happy ending at the end. The, the, they find the robbers, they find the murders, and that's not real life. So would you ever consider a series where you don't? Get, that's what I kind of like the butt out of it. Right. I feel like would you ever really reflect real life that sometimes it's it's not always it's not always all wrapped up. It doesn't always end well. There's always something that's left hanging that hangs over someone's life. I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd like to be satisfied. Yeah. I'd like to have some kind of conclusion. But I was thinking of uh, uh, Perry Mason, mm -hmm. and it didn't really it answered a lot of the questions and. It was an odd show. It yeah. was an odd show, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the second season, is anyone here working on it? <laughs> I'm hoping the second season is, is somehow better, but uh, because I love Matthew Reese and I love the whole cast and, and the world and everything, but it, it, it left some things hanging. Mm -hmm. And that was okay. You know, it was okay. I, I, don't, I don't think everything has to be neatly tied up or completely satisfying. What I loved about Ending Justified is how many people were disappointed that Raylan and Winona weren't together. And I was like, good. Yeah. yeah. By the way, they are fictional characters. <laughs> they actually don't. It's you know. real to me. Well, it was real, it was real to us, too. But um, it's sort of that, that balance. Um, I think that if you, man, oh, man, if you don't, if it's like Zodiac, which I've never seen, and one of the reasons I've never seen it is I don't want to watch that whole movie and not find out who did it. Right. I just... I know, he's a brilliant filmmaker. That really great bothered cast. the characters in the movie, by the way. Yeah, that they didn't find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, and that's... And that's <laughs> they know who did it kind of, Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's a lot of... But they didn't... They, and it's like, okay. I think you need to take the characters on then, you know, bring them to narrative closure. Otherwise, you're going to leave people frustrated. You know, that doesn't mean you have to tie up all the loose ends or mean that everything wound up happy for everybody. Right. And you could hopefully end with... I wonder what's going to happen to that guy now after the end, or to her after the end. What's next for them? You know. So I think you should be left with questions, but you have to have the certain itch scratched about that arc being complete of their character's journey for the purposes of the story. That's one of the reasons why I liked We Own the City so much was just because I don't think that the characters end with any kind of uh, greater clarity on their behavior, and also all the people pursuing them were like, "Crap, what do we like?" And now what? You know, yeah. like it's just kind of like that hanging thing. Another question? Well, what about a, a true crime story where you know yeah. what the end is? So you have it, but everyone, but you're still the whole story is telling the inside guts that keep people. Well, those are really in vogue right now as these adaptations of, of true crime stuff. The Staircase just came out recently. It was an adaptation of a previous documentary, mm -hmm. obviously a real case. Have you ever worked on stuff that was based on a true true crime? World War II was a crime. <laughs> wow, that was, that was heavy and meaningless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the big ending. Um, I can't, you know, it's fine. I'm just dazed today. I just can't think of anything. Yeah. No, I think there you have to kind of build stakes for 
if you already know the ending, then how do you stay invested? And it's the why, it's not the what happened, but the why, you know, and then you have to kind of really explore, you know, find turns about, oh, that, I thought that this person was like this, but they're really like that. So there's still ways to, even if you know, given away the ending where you can still invest, right? It's so strange how those work. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, I was, the first thing I was thinking of when you brought that up was like the feeling I had watching Spotlight for the first time, even oh, yeah. though you know how Spotlight, I mean, you can just look up the Boston Globe and see how right. Spotlight ends, but when you're re watching it, you're just like, these, they gotta do that it, they gotta right. do it. Mm -hmm. But that's just, that's, that's formalism, right? That's just like people making a really good story no matter right. how many like people. Like all the president's men. Sure. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions in the back? Yeah, so Outer Range and Slow Horses both have so much going narratively, and they're so entertaining, but they each also have a character that we could just watch in Gary Owen's character and um, in Josh Brolin. I had a friend that said he'd watch Josh Brolin drink bath <laughs> and Gary Oldman's character is like the Dowager Countess, but male in parts. Um, does he give you more freedom? Uh, I can't believe I said that out loud in public. Um, does, um, does it give you more freedom to, when you have sort of actors and characters like that, uh, sort of as a tentpole, to then maybe experiment more with the story? Well, I mean, with Goliath. I mean, you had Billy Bob, so I mean, yeah. that's also kind of a, a thing to anchor it and give you the legs. Um, and then it becomes how long do they want to do it. Yeah. But it's totally, you know, it's ultimately, if, as an audience person, you're like, I want to go on a ride with him or her, right? You know, and then in the case of Josh Brolin or Billy Bob or Tim Oliphant, you can just watch them, watch them watching things and you watch them process things and you're like, that's magic. I don't know how, there's very few people that you want to watch, watch something, you know, and they're just those people. And then when you have, you know, the assured hand of that person, then yeah, you get, you can kind of get away with stuff, you know, maybe. And, and also you can, and um, you don't have to say as much, you know, you don't have to write as many words because you can see how smart they are processing things. You see, you don't need to say anything, you see what they're seeing. So I think it does give you, it allows for more economy and more, you know, visual storytelling. It's also interesting, though, to think about the power of, that, of those protagonists and, and people developing a relationship with a specific kind of behavior or a specific kind of feel that they get from that person. And, but like balancing that with like, but we want to put this person through a change of some sort. We want to have them evolve. Like I, Raylan should feel differently in season five than he did in season one about certain things and yet still giving them cool Raylan scenes, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole, or, or my agreement with Tim uh, was that Raylan will grow over the course of the series, and he'll grow that much. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's really, that's, it's, we're going to answer one question, and I think you'd find with this, with this re, it's not a reboot, it's just another story, um, that Dave Andron and Michael Dinner and the team have found yet something else to find out about him. Um, I can guarantee you that Jackson Lamb in Slow Horses is not going to grow yes. at all. You've read any of those right. books. There is no arc for him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then for the for the Brolin counter character in Outer Range, I mean, it's like you've sort of positioned him as this uh, this guy literally about to fall into a void. You know, it, what what is that show or what's that story like if he's feeling a little bit more stable? I don't know, right? Right, well, I think there's that kind of the tension of those characters. You know, I think that these, especially a lot of times you want at the center of a, where there's crime, you know, is a, is a flawed hero who is like, has a very strong veneer and also, a, in a, you know, a great capacity and an obsession to do whatever they're on a mission to do. But there's demons, there's void, there's sure. existential emptiness that is kind of a magnet for the, for the audience. 
We can take one more if anybody's got any other questions. No, I'm yeah. Sorry. Thank, thank you so much for coming okay. by, everybody. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You got a okay. question? Go for it. I don't know. It's kind of like a dark question, I guess, but you had kind of touched on it. Um, what do you feel like is the responsibility of like storytellers when it does come to gun violence? Because 19 years ago, I did a paper on like, does gun violence in filming video games correlate with gun violence in real life? How do you combat that when like the story kind of needs it a little bit? If you are doing a crime story, do you feel like there's a certain responsibility that storytellers have? to either pull that out or tell that a little bit more responsibly? Yeah, great question. I have no idea if it's actually correlated. Um, I don't think it is from, from my reading of it, but um, what it, was that your conclusion? I always like to take what most people don't believe, so I went the other way. Uh -huh. It does correlate, just to okay. see what I could find. But yeah, I maybe correlate, but not causal. I don't know, yeah. but um, <laughs> like anyway. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to censor anybody's ability to tell a story any way they want, but for me, I would just take it more seriously, I think. Uh, I mean, Outer Range, we just had a really old-fashioned gunfight at the end of the last episode, which I had a th ball doing, you know what I mean? But it also was like two weeks before the Rust incident, which was took place like 20 miles from where we were shooting in New Mexico. So not only for the crew's safety and all of that, but also, um, you know, societally what's going on. I would just take it more seriously, I guess. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but it would need to feel necessary. Yeah, how about uh, you? Um, it's interesting, Slow Horses, one of the things, because it's, it's an English show um, set there, if there's a gun, it's really a rare thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They just don't, it's just such not a gun culture, and so it's a big deal when Jackson Lamb gives River Cartwright a gun. Um, and he's not very effective with it. I mean, that's <laughs> the other, it, but it's, uh, and. So that's kind of, and the other thing I'm working on is set in the sort of dystopian future where there are very few weapons. It's just not that kind of community. And, and I gotta say, it's, um, it's refreshing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun to work in that world where it's, it's, a, it's a rare thing rather than a ubiquitous thing. That's not gonna be thing. the resolution to this is gonna be some gunfight and get on the other right. side of it. Right, yeah. I right. can imagine. And I'm sure no guns to justify it. You know, this is where I say, well, I really couldn't work on this new show, and uh, that was an old show, and uh, aren't we done? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much to everybody for coming by today. Thank you. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.